Church family, this morning we're continuing on with our gospel tool, um, and I should thank Chess for a nice movie preview of the sermon. The Lord was on you, Chess, because you launched us right in. Um, but we're, we're going on with the gospel tool sermon series, and we're looking at another effect of restored relationship. So you remember or have heard about this morning that last week Pastor Gina talked to us about forgiveness. She gave us this beautiful message about how the forgiveness that we've been given freely comes in us and we get to give it to other people, even those who have hurt us. We can bless them because of Jesus. As our relationship with God is restored, so too are our relationships with one another. And this morning... We're looking at the way that this restored relationship with God makes a way for us to be renewed more and more into his image and how when we do that, his image is projected and given to the world. And so this is just tremendously good news. And so I hope you're excited because I'm excited. So I'm going to read from Gospel Tool Thought Unit 27 and then we'll dig into Galatians 5 if you're looking at your Bible. So Thought Unit 27, as we increasingly yield ourselves to the one who has saved us, his life flows through us to family and friends, strangers and enemies alike. Jesus' love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are increasingly ours as we are renewed in the image and likeness of God. God's laws, his ways, are truly written on our hearts. Can you say amen? Amen. So good. We're looking at Galatians 5, and I'll be reading verses 16 to 26. This is Paul speaking to the Galatian church. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. 
This is the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read through that list of the fruits of the Spirit, I'm a little convicted. Um, Patience is not my first spiritual gift. Anyone else? My husband is laughing. Um, (laughs) I definitely struggle with some of these from time to time. Driving under the speed limit, self-control, saying no to dessert. Anybody? Okay. Let me ask you this as we think about these, these virtues that we've listed. How many of you have made New Year's resolutions ever? Even if you didn't write them down, you just thought, I'm going to do this, okay? Now, how many of you have actually achieved and maintained? No? (laughs) Now, New Year's resolutions often represent really great goals, right? Like we want to be healthier. Um, Maybe we want to add a new rhythm to our life or a new hobby. Maybe we want to grow in character, right? We want to be less selfish or practice more hospitality. These are excellent things. And yet, a 1988 study found that while 77% of people who committed to a New Year's resolution stuck with it for a week, only 19% fulfilled them in two years. And it's actually gotten worse. I found a study done in 2018 that said that only 4% of people who made New Year's resolutions kept them. 4%. That's sad and staggering. And what it points out, quite simply, is that change is really hard. Old habits are hard to break and new habits are hard to form. And this is exactly the conundrum that's unfolding in the Galatian church. Like most of the early churches, we talk about this with most of the early churches, you've got a mix of Jews and you've got a mix of new people. Gentiles coming together for a never-before-in-history moment where they're trying to do life and worship of the one true God together. Together they had a shared goal and a resolution. They were going to become like this Jesus that they had given their lives to. And they were going to take up his mission, that great commission of becoming like him, of making disciples, of teaching them to obey, and of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. But this is no easy task. It's not a simple transition. And as you can imagine, the Jewish believers there had spent their entire lives following this law. If you follow this law, you walk in righteousness, and righteousness is what Jesus asks. They began to think that if this church was going to be more like Jesus, then certainly everyone, even these Gentiles, needed to make sure that they stuck to these Old Testament laws that had been put in place to keep Israel in line for so long. Now, when Paul had come, he had preached to them a gospel of Jesus' saving grace. He had proclaimed that those who were in Christ were no longer slaves to this law. Because humans historically had not upheld the law, Jesus had been sent to fulfill it, and through it, His people were reconciled to God. They were filled with his spirit, and they were free. But that's a really hard shift. It's a hard change. 
And sometimes, when we feel like we can't seem to grow or change or achieve our goals, we try to start to make things happen. Does anybody do this? You go into like control mode. Like, this is how I spend every minute of my day. These are the rules I follow. This is how I'm going to make this happen. The Galatian church was succumbing to the pressure to strive and to control. And because of it, they were running back to the law. In different ways, both Jew and Gentile believers were beginning to once again live not by this beloved, blessed, glorious spirit of God living in them, but they were going back to the flesh. Pride in religious heritage and pride in their own abilities to achieve this calling had taken over. And they'd flown right back to the cage that Jesus had died to deliver them from. And their efforts to do and be good, they had put the unity of the church and the mission of Jesus at risk. And so in his letter, Paul is calling them out. Listen, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't need to worry about the law. You aren't under it anymore. You are in Christ. The law had put boundaries on the flesh. But the Spirit of Christ who lives in you is at war with that flesh. The Spirit of God is diametrically opposed to each and every sin that that law had spelled out. So you don't need the law. You just need to walk by the Spirit of God. But really simply... You don't need to print out your MapQuest directions anymore and follow them word by word and mile by mile. You need to turn the volume on the GPS up. But some of us really love printed out maps. Some of us love clear directions and boundaries and the ability to control. When we think about What it means to be a Christian, we want to make sure that we are checking all the right boxes and following all the right rules. We make sure that we show up on Sundays. We pick a spiritual discipline that feels comfortable and we tie ourselves to it. We figure out the rules and we make sure that those around us know what we do and do not approve of. We join a discipleship group and we work hard to do our homework and come with the right answers. These are all beautiful things. Wanting to know the rules and working hard to follow them is not bad. Don't hear me wrong. But just like the church in Galatia, when we lean on legalism and on our own ability to grow and to change, we're missing out on the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit who promises to transform us and move us more into the character of our King. And in the process, if we don't do that, we shackle ourselves back to the very flesh that we've been liberated from. Now, this had to be really confusing to hear for the first time. And it kind of is too, right? Like you're not under the law, but somehow we're still obeying the law. And how do we know? How do we know if we're living by the spirit of God or the spirit of flesh? Paul is one for clarity. And he's pretty direct. And he doesn't leave us stuck. While his list is not exhaustive, Paul does paint a pretty clear picture of what it looks like to live in the flesh. The acts of the flesh are obvious, Paul says. Now the first three listed, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, 
These are all sexual or sensual sins. Within them include sins of adultery, sex outside of or before marriage, homosexuality, pornography, lustful thoughts, even flaunting or bragging about sin, unclean thoughts, and even crash jokes. Anything apart from God's pure intentions for sexuality, Paul says, are acts of the flesh. Next come what might be classified as religious sins. We've got idolatry and witchcraft, or another translation says sorcery. Now, idolatry means to worship any god other than the Lord. And we as humans are prone to worship many things. We're made to worship. Money, image, status. And as one commentator noted, when people serve a god of their own opinion, they reject the true and living God. When we decide to believe what we want rather than what the word of God says, we are committing idolatry, which is an act of the flesh. Now, sorcery or witchcraft might seem obvious or not obvious, depending on your experience. Activities connected to the occult include all kinds of things. Spells, hexes, curses, horoscopes, cards, all these things. That's all in there. But the word that Paul uses in the Greek is actually a word that is pharmakai. Can you say pharmakai? It's the word that we get pharmacy from. Because in the ancient world, the use of psychedelic drugs or hallucinogens was so deeply connected to witchcraft that they go together. Witchcraft and getting high on drugs are both acts of the flesh. Now the next acts listed of the flesh are those that we might call interpersonal sins, meaning that they're expressed in how we respond to or treat one another. They include hatred, Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Now, some of those aren't very familiar words. (laughs) Another translation lists them as hatred of those who get in our way. Senseless arguments. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Only thinking of ourselves. Being in love with our own opinions or ideas. Being envious of the blessings of others. And murder. These sins include wrongful dividing over opinions. Intolerance towards the ideas of others. Standing apart. Gossiping. Slandering. Allowing bitter roots to grow up and seeking our own glory. Paul concludes his list of these acts of the flesh flesh, with two sins that could be classified as social sins, meaning these are sins that are committed with or in the company of others, and their drunkenness and orgies, or another word is revelries. Now we know what drunkenness is, but this word for revelries can refer to sexual sin, but it also implies unrestrained partying, That lowers a person and is a nuisance to others. Those that live like this, each act of the flesh listed or those like it, 
is an act of the flesh. And those who commit acts of the flesh repeatedly, who live this way, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, it's a sobering list. Like, it's not fun to read through. (laughs) It's not fun to hear. But when we behave this way, any of them, like the church in Galatia, we are uniting ourselves not to this spirit that's living in us, but to the flesh that God is at war with. And if we don't walk by the spirit, we don't inherit the kingdom of God. And if we don't inherit the kingdom of God, how does the world... How do we reflect the kingdom of the God of God to the world and welcome them into it? Like the Galatians, when we live by flesh, the unity and the witness of church and the mission of Jesus Christ is put at risk. This is serious. And it's a sober warning. It's no wonder Paul was concerned. And it's no wonder that he started his next sentence with that all-important three-letter transition. Do you know what it is? But, thank you, Jackie. The acts of the flesh are these, Paul had said, but the fruit of the Spirit, the opposite, is this. Now, notice that sins had been listed as acts, but the things of the Spirit are called fruit. Because fruit isn't achieved by working or striving. You can water it all day long, but if fruit is not connected to a vine, it does not grow. Fruit is attractive. Fruit nourishes and feeds, and fruit reproduces itself. Paul begins this list of fruit with love. And some translations actually put a colon, the two dots, right after love. Because the other fruit of the Spirit comes from love. It's fair to say that every act of the flesh listed is a perversion of love or a twisting of love, while every fruit of the Spirit is an extrapolation or a manifestation of love. The fruit of the Spirit is this love. Long suffering love that bubbles up and overflows like Caroline for her grandsons. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, not because of circumstance. It's joy because we know our King and we know His goodness. Peace. You've heard the line, peace that surpasses all understanding. That means to have peace, you give up your right to understand because you trust that he does. And in that, we can have peace in all things. Patience or forbearance. Patience that bears up under pressure. It bears up under bad days or discomfort. It bears up under adversity or conflict. Kindness and goodness. And goodness carries with it the idea of generosity. Gentleness. Now this is a gentle countenance, but you know what else it is? It's a willingness to be taught. It's the humility that Jackie prayed about. Teachability. Self-control. For ourselves, but also self-control for the sake of others. Holding our tongue if it's going to hurt. These things, says Paul, these things are fruits of the Spirit. These things are evidence that we are living not by our flesh, but by the Spirit of a living God who is living within us. Paul goes on to explain that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh 
with its passions and desires, since they now live in the Spirit, they must keep in step or in line with the Spirit. So it's not the same word as in the beginning of the text. The beginning of the text just said walk. And now Paul is saying, stay in line. Have you ever walked a balance beam? Stay in line. Abide in the Spirit of God, like fruit abides in the vine. And we will no longer crave the things of the flesh. Abide in the Spirit of God, and our character will be transformed into that of our King. It doesn't come by legalism. It comes by yielding to God. Friends, most of us struggle to keep New Year's resolutions on our own. We do. We can't do this Christian life alone. We can't force ourselves into faith. You can't force yourself to be patient. It's not about forcing or memorizing or staying within the lines. Being a Christian is about walking by the Spirit of God. It's about abiding in His Word. It's about taking things into His presence and asking Him what He thinks about them. It's about continually yielding ourselves, every part of us, to God and the transformative work of His Spirit. Paul talks about this transforming work again in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That glow that we were talking about with testimonies, it's glory. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, we bear his glory. This concept of being unveiled. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross and that veil, that curtain that stood between the Holy of Holies where God dwelt and where the people could worship was split in two? You remember this? The veil that separated God from his people has been torn. And now we get to do the work of unveiling ourselves, our sins, our motivations, our ideas before the Lord to be transformed. And the profound beauty of all of it is, as the gospel tool put it, as we increasingly yield ourselves to the one who has saved us, his life flows through us to family and friends, strangers and enemies alike. Jesus' love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are increasingly ours as we are renewed in the image and likeness of God. God's laws, his ways, are truly written on our hearts. Can I get an amen? Amen. Church family, like the Galatian church, we've been called and invited by God to embody, to proclaim, and to advance his glorious kingdom on this earth. The world has enough acts of the flesh. They don't need it. What the world needs is the fruit of the Spirit. What the world needs is a picture of the King. And friends, any time that we choose and live into the fruit of the Spirit with a stranger, with a friend, they get to encounter the living God. Every time. And I believe that this morning the Holy Spirit is present. The Spirit is present to help us think through the acts of the flesh that poked a little bit. And the Holy Spirit is present to do that transforming work 
as we continually yield to him. He's present to transform us into the fruit of his character as together we contemplate his glory. Amen.